Thank you, worship team. Good morning. In his freedom, I am free. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, as you do so, I believe Pastor Zach will say more about this when he gets to the prayer time, but there is a group of people right now praying with Melissa Mayers at the hospital. Please pray for them uh, and pray for Rick and Melissa in this difficult time. God will manifest himself. Grace and peace will come. And uh, we are still praying that God would work a miracle if he sees fit. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. A familiar passage by now, no doubt. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father, would you quiet our hearts and our minds in this time that we have together in the Word of God? We deal with things eternal. They are sacred from your scripture, borne witness by your Holy Spirit. May we receive these truths with a humble and a contrite heart, open our hearts and minds to understand. For those who are with us this morning, they're a little mystified about all of this really don't understand what's going on or maybe even why they're here, would you lovingly speak to their heart? Would you come to them this morning? For the troubled Christian, would you come alongside of them and put your arm around them? For that individual who has been fighting, fighting to submit to you, struggling in their surrender. Would you be gracious with them today? We pray, dear God, that you would draw us into your embrace. May we better understand your great heart for us. And by so doing, we would understand more greatly, more intimately, the depths of your word and what it means to take upon us the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. We commit ourselves to this and we commit this group of folks that are praying even now that your power would come down and bear witness in that hospital room and bring a comfort and bring a peace that surpasses all human understanding. That your name would be glorified and this dear couple would be helped and your church would be strengthened. In Christ's name, amen. As I was considering this uh, passage of Scripture back, oh, uh, it was Easter time is when it was. I, uh, Pastor Zach had said, Eric, you're, this is going to be your section, and I was grateful for it. But it prompted all sorts of questions in my heart and mind. Because I confess I've had 
plenty of confusion about this yoke throughout my Christian life. But a passage came to mind that was revealed, of course, as it often is at Easter time, from Luke chapter 24 and verse 27, where Jesus has been walking with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He, he enjoins them on this journey, and they, he questions them, and upon finding out their sorrow and the reason for it, he upbraids them, he rebukes them for their lack of understanding. And then we get this great verse that still just causes a tingle to run up and down my spine. I am just so blessed by verse 27 of Luke 24 that says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And it was like a little bell went off. Ding, 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 ding. There it is, Eric. And it connected for me in a way and in a depth that I had not fully understood before. And my objective in this lesson, Lord willing, is that the same connection would be made in your heart and mind, and hopefully even greater than for me, and that you will receive the truth about the yoke of Christ, better understand it, and be more willing to then take his yoke upon you. When you consider the yoke, does it bring comforting or disturbing thoughts to your mind? Are you vaguely uncomfortable with this? Does it make you a little anxious when you think about this yoke? Well, possibly like me, you simply, at least the way I used to read it, I would slide over that part of the verse and I would go straight to rest. We all want rest. We all want relief. We all want comfort. Uh, that yoke thing. Let's just, let's just flip over that. We'll do a pole vault over that real quick. So, what do we mean by yoke? Well, I'm going to quickly give us a literal and a figurative definition of yoke. Some of this stuff any of us could quickly find in a dictionary, and I'll go there for sake of clarification. But basically, literally, it is an instrument made of wood designed to comfortably fit over the necks of largely, mostly, two field oxen without chafing them for the purpose of most efficiently plowing a field. Merriam-Webster Dictionary says that a yoke is a wooden bar or frame by which two draft animals are joined at the head uh, for working together. It's an arched device formerly laid on the neck of a defeated person. Interesting to think about these various definitions for yoke and what implications that may have for us. So think a little bit below the surface as you hear these. 
It is a frame fitted to a person's shoulders to carry a load in two equal portions. We've all seen pictures of this, and there's this yoke that goes across the shoulders, and there's a heavy bucket filled with water, and you ultimately you want them both to be filled equally so you're not tipping over and and falling over. A bar by which the end of the tongue of a wagon or a carriage is suspended from the collars of the harness. It brings uh, a more equal pulling of that vehicle. And among other things, a cross piece on the... uh, on the head of a boat rudder. And it's also uh, references an airplane control operating the elevators and the ailerons. All of those are definitions for the word yoke. Now, Vine's Expository Dictionary says that it's, uh, it serves to couple two things together. Firstly, a, a submission to authority. or of bondage. Back in October when we talked about the yoke, we made mention of the rabbinic yoke of Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, or the yoke of the commandments, the Moody Bible commentary says. So in other words, it is a, um, it's a body of knowledge or teaching that you yoke yourself to. And that's going to be very important for our understanding as we go ahead. I did some searching. I took a copy of the ESV Concordance, and I decided I'm going to look up every reference to the word yoke, yokes, yoked, or yoke bars, interestingly as well. There are 68 references to those terms, mostly yoke, in the ESV Bible. Of those 68 references, 16 refer to literal wooden yokes that were were used for animals. Interestingly, there were two references to the prophet Jeremiah wearing a yoke as an example to the nation of Israel. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet, and God, I mean, we might as well say it, I mean, from a human perspective, God abused this poor prophet. Of course, he's blessed, and he's at home with the Lord, and he's comforted, but God used him as a very visible uh, reminder that the nation of Israel had not submitted and surrendered to the commands of God and judgment would be coming and so he used Jeremiah frequently to do some very strange things to uh, make an example. So two of those references were to him. 50 references of the 68 refer to some form of negative or punitive bondage. And that right there is why the average person feels uncomfortable with the whole concept of yoke. Because the vast majority of the references is to punishment or bondage. Only two of those 68 are positive. 
only two. And they're found right here in our passage in Matthew 11. That's it. That is amazing. And it is a stark contrast. The yoke of Jesus, the only two positive references to the yoke. Now, figuratively, here are a few references to the non-material nature of being yoked. In Leviticus 26, 13, uh, this passage regards slavery in Egypt. God broke the yoke of slavery to Egypt in freeing his people, Israel, to leave the land. In 1 Kings 12, verses 4 through 14, we have the account of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, his heavy-handed, merciless leadership. This was Rehoboam's folly in adding to Israel's yoke of servitude. Oh, King Rehoboam, our burdens are heavy. Please have mercy on us and lighten our load. And he sought the counsel of the elders, and they agreed with that. And the younger said, no, you need to make their yoke even heavier. In Lamentations 1.14, we see God's discipline. The Word of God says, My transgressions were bound into a yoke and were set upon my neck. So when we disobey God, it is like a heavy yoke that chafes on us and weighs us down. I wonder, do you feel that? Oh, so many times I have felt that. The weight of my own disobedience. How uncomfortable that is. How heavy it feels. How heavy and burdensome life becomes under that kind of yoke. And in Acts chapter 15, verses 10 and 11, we see a a form of yoked being legalism. This legalism, in essence, is a human religious demand that's placed upon our faith with the wrongful objective of more greatly, we think, pleasing God, or often it's to fit in better with some tribe or religious sect. Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Legalism. So that's a figurative Those are some figurative references to being yoked. So what is Jesus' yoke? J. Vernon McGee said, it is the practical sanctification or the setting apart or the making holy. And this is is an ongoing process for the believer. And to clarify that, when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are made holy. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So when God the Father looks at you, despite all of your failings and your doubts and your fears, he sees the holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day we will be made perfectly holy when we are in his presence. But along the way, you and I both know we struggle a bunch. And that points to the process of progressive sanctification. 
becoming more like Jesus. This is the working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is you and I committing ourselves to a process of looking more like Jesus every single day. So important. Augustine, the great father of the church, one of the great fathers of the church said that the foundation, indeed the lowest foundation of being yoked to Christ is humility as we learn of Christ's nature. Much could be said about this. Really a whole sermon could be preached on the essence of humility and how important it is, important it is as a foundational approach to Christ. Stop and think about it. You try to yoke an animal that has no humility and it's bucking against you and it is, it, it's, it's running away, you can't get the yoke on it, you're going to have troubles. And in the same way, we need to humbly submit as we learn of Christ's nature. The yoke can ultimately be none other than the fullness of the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. And this really is the heart of what we're going to talk about today. To come under Christ's yoke is to surrender yourself to his lordship in all matters. To strain against or refuse his yoke is to show that we do not truly love and trust him to do what's best in and through us. And believe me, I understand how hard it is to surrender ourselves to some hard truths in this life. I would choose anything but that, Lord. Please, don't make me do that. And we try to find a way around it. You know this feeling because you've done it. I know I have done it multiple times. We try to skirt around the issues. But by doing so and not trusting that he loves me more than I love myself and he truly knows what is best for me, I am showing him that I don't love him and trust him when I will not receive his yoke. So why, why the yoke? I read an interesting sermon from the Quaker of all, of all uh, sources, the Quaker uh, theologian, educator, author. He was a chaplain at, uh, I believe it was Harvard. Elton Trueblood. He founded Earl, or he helped, he founded the seminary at Earlham College, which was a Quaker school. He writes in his sermon, The Yoke of Christ, that the yoke is necessary for this reason. The universality, the universal nature of human uh, sorrow and suffering. We all sorrow. We all suffer. Here's a spoil alert for you. Life is hard. It is, isn't it? 
It's interesting, we buck against this because we try to buy into the American dream of uh, you know, health, wealth, and prosperity, and in essence, you're gonna work your way through these problems until one time, at, at one point in our lives, we're finally gonna reach utopia. And hopefully it coincides with retirement time, and then we can go off uh, riding off into the sunset pleasantly with no problems. You and I both know. Carol, we know that that's not true, right? And it's good to see you this morning, sister. God bless you. And we could go around the room, and there are dozens, dozens of you, like Carol, who understand that life is hard. It doesn't follow some set pattern and plan that we build up. This yoke is Christ's most central call to commitment. The language here in Matthew 11 is language of recruitment. Christ is recruiting you. It arouses us from complacency, this, this recruitment. It is, an, if you will, an anti-comfort theme, along with that of taking up our own cross. That's, that's, we don't like to, that passage either. That's from Matthew 10, 38. As we carry the sword of the gospel into the rebel world, we'd all like to think that because we are nice people and we've received Jesus and we go to church and we basically believe the Bible, that people will love us and accept us. Oh, you know me. You know my intentions. I mean you're nothing but good. I just want you to know Jesus. And the Bible tells us that many people will hate us for that. Because the spirit of Antichrist lives in them. And the spirit of God lives in us. And those two will never blend. And so we are at enmity with the world. So there's a great paradox with this yoke. It makes life, now hang with me here. True blood's uh, assessment of the yoke is not always pleasant. It makes life harder and more complex when it comes to your money, your material possessions, your family life, the natural peace of mind that we all want, your intellectual questions, and the disturbing paradoxes of the faith. What does it mean to die so that I can live? To give so that I can receive. There's all sorts of paradoxes in the Christian life that just don't make sense and they don't work in the world system of thinking or, it, or in their economy either. You mean I have to humble myself and be a servant of all to be great? Yes, that also means you may end up being a servant in your corporation or company or in your family and you will never be properly recognized for who you are and what you've done. And coming to a place of contentment and acceptance with that role, because we are not home yet, is something that all of us have to do battle with. It's interesting that Christ calls us to rest by at the same time calling us to the ultimate symbol of toil, a yoke. Really, Jesus? The preaching of rest alone, True Blood says, is heresy. So if you hear somebody say, hey, it's all sunshine and rainbows if you come to Jesus, as long as you give this much money or do this 
for the church, that kind of a thing. The preaching of rest alone is heresy, and the preaching of disturbance alone is heresy. So if all we do is place demands on people and push them into things and tell them that they have to meet this standard without the rest, then that's a heresy as well. Comfort often does not come quickly, but it ends up strangely being the byproduct of trial and pain. That's why, as I prayed earlier from the Word of God, Lord, give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. Let it guard our hearts and our minds. The Christian answer lies not in the achievement of an easy conscience, but in the achievement of new life. Do you long to be transformed, to be made different, to look more like Christ? to sense his presence more nearly, to receive power to do the work of God. That's what it means to be a new creation in Christ. While the primary Old Testament connotation of the yoke was evil, it was bondage for the most part, Christ picked it up and gave it a new liberating significance. True Blood went on to say that Christ's offer of peace was through the acceptance of new responsibilities and that his offer of rest was through the voluntary sharing of new toil. He did not say that he himself would remove burdens what he did say was that because his yoke was perfectly fitted, his own burden seemed light. This is how we're able to settle this seeming incompatibility of Christ's promises of comfort. Does he want to give you comfort? Does he? Shake your head, yes. Because the scriptures say that yes, he wants to comfort you. He wants to give you comfort. but he also at the same time disturbs us. I have not come into the world to bring peace, but a sword, he said. Have any of you experienced the discomfort of two different types of life in the same home? The life that longs to please Christ and to live in Christ? and the life that lives in opposition to Christ? Have you experienced that in your family, amongst your friends? That's a disturbance that comes. He asks, what is a Christian? A Christian is one who seeks, in spite of his or her failures, to wear Christ's yoke with him. Now, these can seem like pretty severe thoughts, and to some degree, based on his background theologically, that's kind of understandable, kind of maybe sounds like pulpit pounding and a little too severe, and maybe that's best left for another era, but it's important that we remind ourselves of the hard truths of the yoke and why we're called to, to take it up. But I want to challenge myself and you this morning by asking this question. Doesn't your heart 
betray you in its lack of sacrificial surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? I mean, honestly, let's get really honest. Don't answer it out loud. In your heart, when you go home at nighttime, maybe before you go to bed, or early in the morning when you get up and maybe you're praying and you're beginning your day, doesn't the Spirit of God speak to your heart and convict you about your lack of surrender to his lordship in so many areas? We can sense ourselves struggling with him, trying to find loopholes and excuses for why we shouldn't do this or do that. But don't you get the sense of longing for a higher calling? Don't you want something more? I think we're often driven to insanity by the desire for something more, better than what we're currently experiencing. We just drive ourselves crazy. We're looking in all the wrong places. Don't we want a more noble mission? We all love the stories of those soldiers who go into combat in the seemingly uh, impossible mission. I watched uh, the true account. I'm sure it was fictionalized to some degree. And um, uh, I think it was Chris Helms played a soldier, the, those 12, 12 strong, I think it was called. And they were the first ones to respond to the airplane uh, crashes into the, the World Trade Center. They were our response. And they went over there with almost no hope of success, and they all came out and lived. It, it's really, a, it's, it's kind of rough, it's brutal, but it, it was quite an account. It's a noble mission, and there's something inside of us that stirs up and says, yeah, I'd like to be one of those people who just, who just presses through to the end. I want a greater vibrancy and a fullness of life than what most of what the world around me calls me to today. And even if we're honest, most of Western evangelicalism doesn't call us to this type of sacrificial mission. C.S. Lewis accused us all when he wrote, we are far too easily pleased with the making of mud pies in the slums than receiving the invitation of a holiday at the sea. We're too easily pleased. However, now as we go ahead, it'll do us well to also hear some more attractive thoughts regarding the yoke of Jesus. Now I know Pastor Michael has been encouraging many people, as have I, to take up a copy of the book by uh, Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lowly. It's an impactful book. If you've not received one copy for your family and you want one, See me. I'll be glad to get you one. There's a box of them in the library as well to give to you free. One per family. And if you read, I encourage you to read that. He says this, the notion of kindness is right here in our passage in Matthew 11. The word translated easy, my yoke is easy, needs to be carefully understood. Jesus is not, frank, is not saying, rather, life is free of pain or hardship. This is the same word translated kind, as in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Kindness. And also I found a very powerful 
uh, verse in Romans chapter 2, verse 4 that says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness, God's kindness, and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Kindness and repentance. We don't see those two things going together very well. But indeed, when you take upon yourself the yoke of Christ, you are taking up the kindness of God. And by so doing, you give yourself an instrument that leads you to a daily repentance. Daily, I repent of the dirt that my body has collected. I take a shower. Daily, I repent of the debris that gets stuck in my teeth. I brush my teeth. In the same way, we daily need to repent of the sins that beset us, the wrongful attitudes and behaviors and the words that we say that are grievous to the Holy Spirit of God. And the yoke helps us to do this on a daily basis. It's rather ironic that Jesus states that uh, this truth, that knowing that a yoke is an instrument of arduous and heavy labor. In essence, he's saying that his yoke is a, if you will, non-yoke, a non-yoke. It's, in other words, a yoke of kindness. Dwell on that for a moment. Let that wash over your previous attitudes about being yoked. This is the gentle and lowly Savior whose heart for you is greater than you will ever understand until you are home with him in heaven. And he is expressing his kindness to you. It is always for our good. Ortland exclaims, who could resist this? Who could resist this? It's like telling a drowning man that he must put on the burden of a life preserver only to hear him shout back sputtering, no way, not me. In James chapter 1, verse 25, the word of God says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he or she will be blessed in their doing. The NIV states it as the perfect law that gives freedom. Now that sounds a little more attractive. The yoke of Jesus is not a burden. It's a delight because there is freedom in Christ. We don't have this freedom in ourselves since we naturally are yoked to the bondage of a sin nature. You had it when you were born. It was creeping and crawling inside of you. It's infected every atom of your nature. That yoke brings forth various forms of death. If it's not dealt with radically through spiritual surgery in Christ, that yoke will bring forth progressive and various forms of death and dying until finally we are completely cut off from God with no hope. Now that is a terrible yoke. Jesus sets us free from this bondage to sin. He breaks the yoke of bondage that we naturally carry. He destroys it. 
Then he calls us to his yoke in replacement, which by comparison is infinitely, infinitely easier and allows us in yoke partnership with him to, be, to become the people that we're meant to be. See, I, I hold to this premise. Christ is the one who restores our true humanity. The farther I am from Jesus, either in a salvation relationship or in my obedience on a daily basis as a Christian, the more animal-like I act, the more of a rebel I am. Christ comes to restore true humanity. That's what he wants for you and I. Pastor John MacArthur says, in the process of submission, Jesus is gentle and humble in heart and graciously gives rest, not weariness, to his obedient disciples. Our Lord will never give us burdens too heavy to carry because his burdens have nothing to do with works of the law or the human tradition of good deeds. And I love what 1 John 5, verse 3 says, for this is the love of God. You ready? And we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. That's the love of God. Now, what is the yoke then, specifically of Jesus? Well, in the Apocrypha, this is one of the 14 non-canonical or non, uh, these books are not included in the 66 books of inspired scripture. They have some great statements in them that are in agreement uh, in many cases with the word of God, but in one of those non-canonical apocryphal books called Sirach, Chapter 51, verse 26, we read this. Put your neck under the yoke and let your souls receive instruction. It is to be found close by. It's not far from us. So what is this yoke? It is to surrender to the Lordship of Christ in committed discipleship. It's not enough to just say, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I love coming to church and singing the songs. He is calling you to discipleship. That's the yoke. Bill Galtieri, an author I found in the midst of preparing for and in, the, and in my sabbatical, he, he wrote this wonderful book. And in there, he refers to this process of discipleship as apprenticeship. We understand what it means to be apprenticed to someone, to learn a trade, to learn a specific, a specific skill. And he expresses this idea of apprenticeship well in his apprentice prayer. Lord Jesus... He prays, I seek to live as your apprentice in all that I do today. My life is your school for teaching me. I relinquish my agenda for this day and I submit myself to you and your kingdom purposes. In all things today I pray, your will, your way, your time. If we're to understand the character and will of Jesus, we must saturate ourselves with the only real truth concerning him, which is found in the scriptures. The Puritan Thomas Adams wrote, this Jesus Christ is the center of the whole scripture. The sum of divinity is in the scripture. The sum of the scripture is the gospel. The sum of the gospel is Jesus Christ. Richard Sibbies wrote, Christ is the scope of the scriptures from beginning to end. 
Christ is the scope of the scriptures. Jesus himself is the way into our understanding of the Bible. After all, he is himself the center of the Bible's message. All God's purposes from the beginning to the end find their focus in him, said Mark Thompson. The scripture is the living voice of God. And it is the written embodiment of Jesus Christ himself. Remember the scripture that I stated at the beginning after we read our passage from Luke chapter 24? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning what? Himself. Himself from beginning to end. It becomes evident then that there cannot be a proper understanding of the yoke of Jesus nor the ability to take his yoke upon us without committing ourselves to an understanding of the Jesus of scriptures. If the scriptures are Jesus, then the yoke or the teaching of Jesus is in the totality of the scriptures, God's word, the Bible. So what is the role of scripture in regards to this yoke of Jesus in the life of a believer? Well, God's word is a gift of grace. It's a gift of grace. Don't reject it. Don't dismiss it. Don't make little of it. Don't lay it aside. This is an amazing gift. If you don't love it, ask God to help you. I often tell people, begin with the gospel account of John and ask God, God, show yourself to me through the word of God. Lord, help me to see you in the word. Read Psalm 119. All but just a couple of the 176 verses in there refer directly to the Word of God, what it is and what it does in our lives. It's an amazing song. Ask God, help me to love your Word. Make it rich. The transforming, the, bi- the doctrines rather, or the teachings of the Bible transform our lives from the inside out. And often they turn our lives upside down as well. Doctrine or teaching shapes us in the totality of our thinking, our decisions and actions. Bible doctrines shape your worldview in totality. This is why the worldview of so many of our Christian students is so weak. They go to college. I can testify to this very, very personally and painfully. Often, our friends and loved ones go off to college and they hear some new philosophy. I did it. And I started to listen to the philosophies of the world and even of Marxism to some degree. And I was so confused and so upset, so uncertain about my faith. Our worldview can only be shaped by the Word of God. And it will be in opposition to much of what the world has to say. Prepare yourself. This is part of the yoke. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What is this teaching? It is the standard God's standard, not ours. You and I don't get 
to make up our own standards. Our holy, sovereign God sets the standard. That's the teaching. The reproof is a comparison, hopefully daily, to this same standard. It's quality control. We understand that. It's God's mirror. Correction is closing the gap between God's standards and where I am. If you go to quality control and they find out, this is off from the standard. You need to correct it. You need to bring it back in line. You need to get it right so this part will fit correctly and work at its highest level. This is closing the gap between God's standards and where I am. This is God's progressive sanctification in my life. And training, faithfully putting God's standard into practice. You've got to practice it every day. You read your Bible and then you close it up and then you go on and just live like you always do? Well, that's not training. Training is putting into practice on a daily basis the things that you're learning and growing in, the things that you're being taught and reproved and corrected in. How could we ever begin to understand this yoke of Jesus without the scriptures? We couldn't. It would be some gross, terrible, oppressive instrument of bondage to us without understanding who Jesus is from the scriptures. The truths you actually believe are the truths that you live because faith is never just intellectual assent. More importantly, biblical faith is a commitment of the heart that radically alters the way you and I live. Paul David Tripp says, truth not lived is truth not believed. Truth not lived is truth not believed. So what kind of an application can we make today and we'll be done? Let's kind of give an overall summation of this. Our understanding of yoke is as a standard of teaching shaped by the life of Jesus. That's our understanding. Our proper understanding of yoke is a standard of teaching shaped by the life of Jesus Christ. Secondly, there is a critical difference between the yoke of Jesus and any other. I have taken up the yokes of religious expectations and demands. It is heavy. I have taken up the yoke of the world's view. It is oppressive. When I take up the yoke of Jesus, I find it to be infinitely easy in comparison. The yoke of Jesus brings freedom. Any other yoke will bring bondage. Mark it down. Even though it may feel wonderful at first that I'm part of this group or I'm doing this, I'm meeting all these expectations, I'm an overcomer, I triumph in the work world. You are taking a bondage on yourself that will come to roost at some point and it will be painful. Fourthly, the yoke of Jesus is easy compared to all others because his heart towards us is what, Pastor Michael? What's Jesus' heart to us? Gentle and lowly, right? Just like you've been teaching your students. It's gentle and lowly. 
To be in Jesus' yoke is to be his apprentice. Since Jesus is the source and center of all scriptures, his yoke cannot be fitted on you apart from the doctrine or the teaching of scripture. And that's the Old and the New Testaments. The scriptural yoke of Jesus will transform you. And I'm done with this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, and to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Father, again, I ask that you would quiet our hearts and minds, that we would be willing to do business with you in light of the revealed Word of God. Help us to repent, to turn away from, to lay aside, to repent of our lack of humility, to value and surrender to Jesus' yoke. We thank you and we praise you that the totality of Jesus in all the Scripture and his gentle and lowly heart is inviting us into his kindness. And we ask for your help. Help us to see Jesus' yoke in stark contrast to the yokes of bondage we choose for ourselves and instead to receive his through the Scriptures. We thank you for this blessed, kind yoke of Jesus who is gentle and lowly in heart. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.